0: October can feel like crunch time, but the cooler weather and nostalgia that always comes around this time of year creates a great opportunity to bring your team together. If I can offer one culture tip for this moment, it would be to create bonding office rituals. At rebel.com, we start each week with an all hand stand up Monday morning meeting. Instead of just asking people to take turns standing in a circle, we throw around a round of basketball. It's a great, energizing way to start your week. The whole thing is recorded by someone wearing an orange branded Rebel construction hat with a GoPro attached. Anyone who misses the meeting can catch up later on. The construction hat actually comes from another weekly ritual that we have at Rebel, Friday lunches. Every Friday, we recognize birthdays, work anniversaries, and special cultural announcements like our next corporate 10K. And we also hand out high fives. These little easy rituals brought us together as a team and definitely bring a little energy, fun, and focus to our work. Until next month, this has been Rob Villeneuve CEO of rebel.com and Startup Canada fellow for culture and engagement. Startup Canada and Wolf Blast Wines have partnered to celebrate the regional winners of the 2016 Startup Canada Awards. Join us this fall in Waterloo, Montreal, Edmonton, and Vancouver for Wolf Blast Wine tasting receptions and award ceremonies to toast this year's winners. Visit startupaward.ca to register for your free ticket today.
1: One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding an available website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen a .ca domain name for their business. Choose your .ca domain name at cira.ca
0: forward slash startup today. Disruption, investment, work-life balance, delving deep on the topics that matter most for entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network.
2: Welcome to the Startup Canada Podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett, the CEO at Coaching by Rockstars.com. Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the rallying network uniting Canada's entrepreneurship community. And on this podcast, we connect you, the idea person, the startup founder, the creative thinker with the movers and shakers of Canadian entrepreneurship. On the show, we will fill you in on the trends, opportunities, and possibilities of your next steps as an entrepreneur. And we're going to have amazing conversations on advanced. Entrepreneurial success and growth in Canada. If you are a regular Startup Canada podcast listener, welcome back and thanks. To any of our new listeners, remember to subscribe to the Startup Canada podcast on the iTunes stores and then visit startupcan.ca to become a member of Startup Canada and get access to mentors, resources, support, and opportunities to start and grow your business. And we are set to go ladies and gentlemen of startup land across the Canada coast to coast. We're just thrilled to have as our guest today, Neil Cause. He's the founder and CEO of Geotab, one of the largest telematics company in the world. And in today's interview, we're going to learn the story behind Geotab, how big data, open data, and analytics are changing the transportation industry, protecting data, fostering innovation, and creating a safer industry. We're going to get Neil's insights on taking Geotab global and his entrepreneurial lessons for founders, owners and leaders. Here's why is because he's a business leader, very accomplished entrepreneur and engineer and who has been founding and running his own businesses since 1992. In 1998, he sold his software development company with over 100 engineers to data tech. And in 2000, Neil founded Geotab, which is now one of the largest telematics company in the world as measured by new vehicle subscriptions on a yearly basis and i'm not done ladies and gentlemen he geotab has also been voted one of the 50 fastest growing tech companies in canada has been ranked in the top 200 in north america not once not twice but four times in four times for the last four years he's an engineer at heart and this passion keeps him involved in day-to-day engineering design of geotabs systems so i want to talk about that neil believes that GeoTab's success stems from the company's integrity it's Forward-thinking ideals, and foremost, the customer receiving the right solution. In in 2015, Neil was named Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year for Ontario. Wow! Welcome to the show, my (laughs) friend. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Well, look, you have been quoted. At, well, actually, what I want to I, remember I, in that intro, I said there was something I wanted to reference. How do you balance being the leader of the company yet wanting to get your hands dirty?
1: Uh, That's a tough call. And, you know, sometimes I'm criticized for being, you know, too hands-on with the engineering. But, you know, my problem personally is that that's my passion. That's what I enjoy doing. But I do think that some of the the principles that come from engineering, the problem solving, um, you know, the way that you think about problems, the way you tackle them can apply to running a business too, even though you're not dealing with, you know, engineering per se. But some of the problems that you have to, you know, customers and, you know, finance and, you know, HR, can all, you know, take some of the engineering principles and can, can be useful to solve that way.
2: Yeah, very cool. Well, look, I uh, appreciate that insight. And it's, You know, I've read many stories about about uh, uh, entrepreneurs that have actually had devastating situations because they couldn't get out of the muck. They really wanted to do everything. So the mere fact you understand that delicate balance between passion and purpose is uh, is very, very cool and insightful. And you've been quoted as saying at Geotab, we are firm believers that customer service doesn't end when simply addressing customer requests. Rather, it also involves providing education, building engagement and fostering personal relationships. Can you expand on that? That's in itself is very insightful.
1: Yeah, so I think I mean our heritage is that we've dealt with the very, very largest fleets in North America, and it's and uh, you know it was accidental in the sense that that's our that's what what our original product was really good at. Now these kind of relationships that, that that you have with these large fleets and large customers are relationships that go on 10, 15, 20 years, and. um you know, I, I really believe in in the bigger picture. And I think the whole company does today where we're not interested in making a quick buck or making money for the short term. I really think it's more about, you know, building up a strong relationship with the customer and and giving the customer good advice so that in the long run, they come back to you and there's many many examples of where customers have come to us and said listen you know we'd like to use your product to do A B and C and we've said honestly we're not the best product to do that you know why don't you look at this product over here or that product over there you know if they come to us and they want honest advice we always give them the absolute honest truth about what we can do and what we can't do and um, that way you establish yourself as a trusted partner, mm. some, a partner that's going to go on in for the long run. And, you know, the business will take care of itself in the long run because they'll come back to you the next time they need something and give you another shot. And then, you know, they'll work with you. And And I think that really is is a good approach. Now, it's harder to do that when you have, you know, 100,000 customers because you you don't have that relationship with 100,000 customers. But I think it can pervade all of your business dealings. And having that long-term thinking, you know, which, which sometimes when you're a public company, you don't have because it's like, what is my share? price and what is the value of the company quarter to quarter? Whereas um that's what they you know miss out on is that long-term thinking, which is, you know, Amazon can get away with that, even though they're a public company and they have great long-term thinking. And that's really what's, what's important. Let's build a strong foundation rather than, you know, just, just try and, you know, get a short quick win.
2: You say that it's, it's uh, sometimes difficult to do that with hundreds of thousands of customers, but you know, I've also been on the other side when you're starting off and a customer asks you to do something and you know that you shouldn't be doing it, but you of course need money. You got to survive. And so I think to have that resolve right from the beginning to have long-term thinking is critically important although tough you got to recognize it is tough but i think in the long term that relationship is is what it's hard i've talked a little earlier to to a guest about you know business to me is is about the dating game that's really what it's about and the the more you're able to listen to and to sometimes give the brutal honesty to to your uh, to your the person you're dating is the one that you're ultimately going to end up have the long-term relationship with so so how do you put Put that into the culture of your business. I mean, you're a big company. You're you're global. So how do you uh, how do you keep that culture of intimacy and responsiveness, and sometimes not, into the culture of your company?
1: look I think um, you know it, it does um, you know reflect something that you you build up over 15 years when when you're you know in front of the customers yourself and it's the way you deal with customers and that rubs off and kind of trickles down and you know people feel the same way and, and you look at the policies within the company like the way we set up you know we give individuals a huge amount of responsibility the way um, individuals themselves um, you know make the decisions and make the calls um, and they've got to make the right call and you know I think that's where where it kind of sets the culture and actually really you know sets up you know the long-term thinking um, and you know it's tough and it's something you got to work at on an ongoing basis you can't just go okay well you know I'm going to put a document together and this is the rules of the company you know i think you've you've got to kind of build it in in right from the get-go and uh, work at it so we're lucky that with the distributed team that we're able to do this i mean it's an ongoing communication battle when you have you know people all over the world and you have oh. to have the regular staff meetings and you have to go and see them And you have to get face to face, and you know it's always a challenge. But it's something you got to work at.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, family is tough as best. So uh, you know, bringing that uh, that trustworthiness and that uh, culture into a business is even tougher. So, uh, well, look, let's talk about Geotab and and your story and and growing. You sold your company, and then you you started uh, Geotab. What was kind of the what was kind of the need you saw back then, and uh, to bring it to where it is today.
1: Yeah, so an interesting thing thing happened around the 1996, you know, the American government um, unblocked GPS. In the past, GPS was for military only. And, um, you know, back then you couldn't, you know, get your position. And I think they realized at the stage that this would be just a game changer for the world and they decided to unblock it. And um, so we had to sit and think. Now, it means that you, you could know where your position was. I mean, the GPS satellites, you know, unlike what most people think, you can't talk to them. They just talk to you and you can, from the, 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 the satellite, figure out where you are. Um, and then we realized you know, that, that w- what is the, the most important thing, a valuable asset like a vehicle, knowing where vehicles are, would be you know, hugely beneficial to this new technology. And the microprocessors were getting cheaper and technology was, you know, you know the technology game, it's exponential the mm. growth. So we figured out, well, you know, this has got to be it, so you know, put it together. And then it was really in, in the early days, there was IoT, there was the birth of IoT. You know, the, the buzzword that we hear about today, that was really where the birth happened for us. And that was a long time before anybody was talking IoT. And um We've evolved it since then. You know, lots of things have come and gone. Big data, the price of stuff has gone down. The technology has just improved in every way, shape, or form. Um, and you know, and that's where it evolved from. And and it's exciting that we're able to do that. Um, accidentally, though, I mean, there's a couple of accidents that happened to jetsave along the way. And I mean, life is full of that, yes. isn't it? <laughs> yes, it sure is. <laughs> and, and and you end up looking back and you are saying, well, that was an incredible decision, but it was actually an accident that happened, you know, way back then. And and one of them was that, you know, coming from South Africa. Um, you know the cell phone, you know, industry was a little bit behind compared to North America, and the cost of data was very, very high. So we figured we're not going to have a system that's going to give you live position. As cool as that is, that's expensive. So we had more like a black box of a jet, and it loaded the information into the black box, and then when you got back to home base, it just it downloaded it using a, a radio, and. Um, because of that, when 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 I sold the company, moved over to North America, um, you know, we were looking for something to do, and um, you know, we wondered, was there a product like this in North America? And and there wasn't really, and mm. it was the large fleets that were, were most interested because they couldn't pay twenty-five dollars per vehicle. They can't spend that kind of money um, to to connect their vehicles. It's perfectly fine that they can record the data and get it when they return back to home base. Mm. So. That became great for us because we got into bed with all the large fleets, and then you know they gave us all the information on you know they they can afford to look at their fleets very closely and get all and figure out the right way to do things. And we've taken all that best practice, built it into our product, and then we were able to push it down to small fleets. So that fantastic accident has really you know helped us today in in, in an amazing way, um, and you know it's it's really changed our whole company. And you know the, the, this is you know we're in you know fourteen thousand fleets, yeah. you know fleets ranging from one vehicle because you're maybe a lawyer and you want to use the system to record your time and bill your customers, you know, all the way up to, you know, the largest fleets in the world. Um, you know, Enterprise is a is a customer of ours. Now, we're not in every one of the rental vehicles because, you know, National and, and Enterprise Car Rental Company, yes. um, and they have 1.6 million vehicles. They buy 5% of all the new car sales in the United States actually bought by that one company. Wow. Um, and we're in every one of their divisions, um, you know, uh, working with them. They were strategic partner of enterprises. So, you know, it's amazing... to see there's a bit of a revolution going on yes. um, you know, Isn't it great? In, in this whole space. I, you know, oh, I, it's it's I love the word
2: disruption these days. I absolutely love it. For the new entrepreneurs that, that, that are listening to you speak here, how did, how did you start to do, get that relationship? What are so, what were some of the biz dev uh, strategies you adopted to, to get in the door and get to the right people? I mean, you obviously have the technology, but it's still knocking on the door, right?
1: Yeah, you know what? I mean, we made a decision a very, very long time ago in Geotab to be very, very focused on what we do. We're an engineering company. We wanted to stay laser focused on being engineering. And, you know, sales is an incredibly important part of, of you know, uh, too many times, you know, I actually was guest lecturing at the U of T for, um, you know, for the for the engineering students talking about being an entrepreneur. Right. And, you know, so many times engineers come up with these great ideas and they just, we don't realize as engineers the importance of sales and marketing. To any activity, mm. you know, there's no point in having this incredible product that's sitting on a desk, and you know nobody in the world knows about it. Um, so we, we had this kind of problem where we we kn- we knew the importance of sales and marketing, but we wanted to remain laser focused on the engineering. So we actually had to make a bit of an investment, and we hired a company to represent us. Now mm. normally what happens is companies will come to you and say, you know, they'll pay you money to represent them. Uh, we had to go the other way. We had to put somebody on retainer and pay them money. We had to. You know, <laughs> couple of customers, we had to virtually give the product away and we had to be very responsive to whatever that customer wanted we had to make sure we could do. So we did that so we got a couple of, you know, good names out there um, and then we started, you know, we had a you know Colin Sutherland, you know, our VP of sales is is an, is a, is an awesome salesperson, you know, he he, um, he's, he spends a lot of time at the trade shows, getting to meet people, mm-hmm. you know, talking about the technology and I think that's really what was a bit of a game changer when, you know, we bumped into these large fleets, um, you know, companies like Ork and these other large fleets and said, um, we're looking for a tracking system. What have you guys got? And then, you know, you go and see them and then do the sales process. So I think that business activity is incredibly important. Um, you cannot get away with not having your own sales, but, um, you know, our focus on 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 engineering was also really important because one of the big mistakes I think that happens when you start a new company is that you start meeting customers and customers, you know, have these problems that you that that they want you to help them solve, right? And if you solve customers' problems, that's how you make money. Right? You know, you're there to problem solve for them, and they'll pay you money because now you've got rid of their problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is, especially in the beginning, you talked about this, is balancing well. You know, getting pulled off your vision. So you have this, you look down the road and you see a long way off. You say, listen, ultimately, I want to be the biggest telematics company and I want to be able to do this, this, and this, and this. But when you're in the beginning and you don't have the luxury of, you know, picking and choosing, you know, what, what you can provide your customer, you get pulled in every direction. Your customer says, oh, well, but but I need you to do that. And you got to say, oh, okay, well, I can do that. And then they want you to do that, the next customer. Yep. So you've got to be very flexible. Mm. But then as soon as you can, you got to kind of never forget your end goal and say, listen, uh, you know, I, I'll. Do the work, but it mustn't take me too far off that path of mine that I've laid out because focus is so key. So what we said was we want to be the best in the world at one small little niche. We want to pick passive tracking. So no live connectivity, just this black box. That, And we want to just be the best in the world at that tiny little niche for large fleet. And once you, once you own that space, once you, you are undeniably the best at that, then you can branch out. Don't start branching out in the beginning, trying to do all things and be all things to all people. Yeah. Be laser focused and get there first. Yes. And that's important.
2: It's, uh, it's, it's the basics of dating, isn't it? You can't have them all as a wife, right? <laughs> so t- so tell me about telematics, because you know as I was preparing for this great conversation today. And I, uh, you know, I profess to know a lot, but I also profess not to know a lot. And one of them is telematics. And I'm sure there's people on this call right now, on this podcast, listening in, wondering, it it's sounds so exciting and I get what you're talking about, but what is telematics? What's it
1: about? Yeah, so telematics really is um, is is measuring and data, right? So it's it's essentially a fancy word, and it's obviously a word that that got adopted, you know, for for, for vehicle tracking. Um, but really, what it is, it's gathering data, and that's what we do. We collect information about where a vehicle is, what a vehicle is doing, how fast it's going. We talk to the engine computer. Now you know that there's you know. 20, 50 engine computers in your vehicle. And we talk to all of them and we say, well, how's the transmission doing? What is the ambient air temperature? You know, uh, did the airbag just deploy? Um, you know, are there any faults in the vehicle? What is your fuel consumption? So we ask the engine, are you wearing your seatbelt? We ask them all this data. We collect all this data and then we essentially connect your vehicle to the cloud. That's what we do. And then we have some fantastic web software that allows you to analyze what's going on in, in my fleet of vehicles to be able to set up rules, create business rules you know, and and get mine some really useful information about how to run your business better. Yeah, you know, we have a motto that says you you can't manage what you don't measure. And if you think about what telematics is, it's really it's measuring what am what is my company doing? What am I doing with my fleet of vehicles? Where are my guys? What customers are they visiting? When are they visiting them? When was the last time I visited my most important customers? How much time am I spending caught in traffic on the way to get there? Uh, how are my vehicles doing? How are they performing? And it's it's really giving you an insight into to running your business and making good business decisions. That's really, you know, what, it, what it's about at the heart of it.
2: Well, innovation is pretty important to obviously what it is that you do being an engineer. And uh, I I wanted to ask you about the entrepreneurial spirit in your company. Uh, you've you've uh, grown your original company, 100 engineers and teams to support them. And now you're on to the being the global company, the leader in telematics in the world. How do you maintain that spirit and focus on entrepreneurship, which drives innovations, which allows you to continue to be the largest telematics company in the world.
1: I mean, it 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 is a challenge. So as the company grows, you face different challenges, right? It's easy when you've got a small company mm-hmm. and you're involved in all the engineering, and you know you can you 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 can work. But the problem comes in when you know the company starts growing, and now you have to, yeah. You know, how do we 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 pick individuals and say, listen, we want you to be entrepreneurs within a bigger company, and we want you to, you know, be free thinking and have great ideas. And I think the way that we try to do that, and obviously you know you're always working at it, um, we try and treat people as though this was their own business. So what do you have to do to do that, first of all, you give them an immense amount of responsibility. So, in in one sense, you know, if you have a business expense card, we don't have rules about saying what is the budget that you mm. have and how, what is the maximum limit that you have on the credit card and what can you spend it on, and what can't you spend it on. We say, listen, you're your own little entrepreneur. At the end of the day, we're going to review you and we're going to measure you. We're going to hold you accountable for how you're performing. But if you, you you feel it necessary to spend money on you know this marketing activity or doing this or doing this, you know, we'll give you that free rein to do so. So that's one way that we do it um, we, you know we don 't clock watch we don 't measure how much time you 're spending at the office. We really try and be open about about that. The other thing is that we incentivize you in in a similar sort of way so we work on you know a very mediocre based package and then we try to incentivize you with a bonus package that measures your performance um, as an entrepreneur would be measured, which is you know um how much money is the company making? How much money are you making for the company? That's you know that kind of thinking. The other thing that we do is um, we're very very generous in the company about giving uh, employees share options. Mm. So when companies when when employees stay with us for a while, and and these are real shares. They're not even share options. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not a public company or private company. So in in a way, it's a share grant where we're saying, you know, we are giving you now this percentage of the company, and now this company becomes your company and you get to see the financials and you get dividends when the dividends get paid out. And that drives people in a way that's so different to, I just work for that company. Yeah. Um, now it's my company yeah. and I feel passionate about making the good, making good decisions. When I see something not working well, even if it's not exactly my business, you know, I'm going to try and help get it right. And I think that's one of the most important things.
2: Why does that, you know, that's uh, that's not a new idea about, uh, about sh- share capital and so on. Why does it, why is it working within your organization? Again, are you wrapping around that sense of, of culture with it that we're doing something special? Or is it just purely ownership that's driving uh, that incentive to
1: be something special for your team? Look, I think that most companies award share options. And the way that a share option works is that you know, normally if you're a public company, you get the option at $30. And if in, in a year's time or two or three years' time when it vests, you only get the gain in the share price. And and, and in the U.S., you actually have to trigger – it has to be triggered by a big sales event happening before you get any of that money. And that's not our focus. As I said, this is more like a share – this is a grant to the shares. We're saying, you know, we'll instead of paying you – you know, a, a, big bonus we'll take that money we'll give you the sh- the real shares in the company mm. and um and that's different right when you have that 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 share certificate that says these are my shares and when you see that financial and you come into the board meeting and you see this is what the company is doing and this is the strategy um I really think that, that that's different. And maybe we can do it because we're a private company. You know, it doesn't, doesn't really count the same when it's, oh, it's a public share. I can sell it or buy it. It doesn't feel the same. Um, so I think that that helps. And then it is a little bit of a cultural thing as well. Like we are very, very inclusive in the company, maybe to a fault where <laughs> if we have issues in the company, like everybody's going to know about it. If we could be doing better over there, you know, um, you know even crazy little things like what we do with our, um, you know, phone bills, for example, is we just. We take the summary page up for everybody in the company, and we send out a PDF, you know, once a month, which has you know people's phone bills, totals of the phone bills on it. And yeah. we just it manages itself. Nobody's going to yep. be checking on your phone bill. Yep. You know, we're just going to go, oh Neil, you know, somebody will be looking at my phone bill and going, <laughs> you yeah, know, well, why is yours a thousand bucks? That's just not right. Yeah. You know, and that's how we are. So you got to be open.
2: That's freaking brilliant. No, and, and I and I I appreciate the spirit behind it because you know what? That's what family would do. They pull the. F- I have family of five. We pull them together and say, look, this is the phone build this is what's happening do we think it's right and what are we going to do about it i love that spirit behind Mm -hmm. that so easy to change well look let's uh let's uh let's push a bit to uh, big and open data and in canada there's a national push to open up data for better analysis responsiveness and and decision making and why is it important to you to build an open platform for technology
1: okay so um You know, first of all, let's talk about the open platform. you know, openness in a, in a business sense is, you know, what we just talked about in a, in a company sense. It's like, you know, allowing, you know, customers to come in, allowing partners to leverage what you've done, being open about, you know, how to do things, working with other partners. Um, and that's what we realized a long time ago is very important. And we had to do it because if we were only focused on the engineering, we have 150 partners across North America that sell our product. We don't sell our product. Okay. So, because of that, we had to be very, very inclusive. Now, what's happened in the interim is that um, we've now grown a marketplace. There is, you know, all these companies that are building solutions that work on top of our platform, which is amazing because we're almost establishing ourselves as a standard for telematics and this open approach where we allow people to come into our marketplace, even if they compete with us. We might have an hours of service solution ourselves, but we're happy that another partner comes in and offers their hours of service solution. And we will give them the specifications for how to you know, plug into our systems and give them our data and make the data open and freely available. We feel that's very, very important. It's, it's more of a Silicon Valley approach than it is a traditional closed kind of business approach where you go, no, 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 if I'm not selling it, my customers uh, you know, can't buy it and we we control it tightly. That's not the, the route that we decided to go. So I think that is very, very valuable because if you, if you remember back to the first days of the iPhone when Apple came out... Um, the first version of the iPhone didn't even have an app store. It had like a phone and an email and, and, and a browser, but you didn't have an app store. And then the big game changer was when Apple said, okay, we're going to create an app store and we're going to let 100,000 companies build a million apps that run on your app store. And we are working really hard here at Geotap to become the Apple of the telematics game so that we want to say, listen, we're giving you all the platform tools, but all the third-party solutions that, that run on top of our technology are what customers are after. They're after the system that's going to manage their, their lawn spring or, you know, the maintenance system that plugs in or they're going to push their data into their CRM system. So that's that's the part that we really focused on. So being open is kind of key. It's being collaborative. It's working together. And then the big data side is is really a new, fascinating growth area. Um so you can well imagine that there's telematics is a little bit of a, a double-edged sword. Let's let's be honest here. Yeah. So you know, in one sense, you know, okay, somebody's spying on me. Somebody knows where I am, when I'm there. You know, there's Big Brother's watching, mm-hmm. right? So that's the uh, that's the kind of you know one side of telematics. And then the other side of telematics is the altruistic. You know, let's 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 see what we can do that's going to be good for society. And there is a tremendous amount of value that can come out of the big data side. That's going to be a huge benefit to society. Now, to be clear, this is being worked on right now. We are, you know, we have, you know, a PhD big data scientists from U of T and from all over the place working hard on the big data sets and, and crunching it together. I mean, we believe we have the largest big data vehicle set in the world, the richest, largest big data set. Now, let me give you a sense of some of the stuff that we can get out of the big data because that really puts a fine point on it. So one of the things that we know is we have about 30,000 accidents a year happening in our pool of vehicles. We have 550,000 vehicles in that, that have subscriptions to Geotab. So that's a lot of accidents. And we know where those accidents are occurring. We know how severe they are. We also know where everybody's slamming on brakes, so we know where the dangerous intersections are. And our big data team is busy correlating that data. They're figuring out, okay, tell me where the hotspots are. This road intersection is really bad. Too many people slam on brakes. They don't realize at the last minute maybe they can't see the traffic lights or it's, it's badly signposted. So we can pick out where those hotspots are. Now, how good would it be if we can take that data, feed it back to the towns and the cities and go, listen, you need to slow folks down. there. Maybe the bridge is icing in winter and people are, you know, it's too dangerous or maybe people are speeding too much. And, you know, we can feed that data back. So it's super, super interesting. Um, the other thing that we can do is we can hold some of the, the automators a bit more to account, the automotive makers a bit more to account. So, you know, we we understand the VW scandal. Um, now, Geotab has all that data. We know exactly what their emissions are on every single vehicle. Um, we, we also do measuring of the, the fuel. Um, only 1% or less of all the vehicles in the United States today are actually connected to the internet. And every one of our vehicles is fully connected. So we know the real world fuel consumption for hybrid vehicles, for this make and model, for this year, for you know, for all these different vehicle types, and we can plot that up by make, model, year, and we can show you know the EPA scores. People claim manufacturers claim, okay, my fuel consumption's X. We can show that it really is X, or no, maybe it's not X, and we can show you that a hybrid vehicle is going to save you X amount of money over the long run, or an electric vehicle. You know, and we can you know we can say an no, electric doesn't work in very cold climates, or maybe it does. Um, so we have an incredible data set that, when you look at it from a big data perspective, can make a really big difference to to the choices that we make in the vehicles we purchase. Um, you know, failures in the vehicles. We know which vehicles, which parts, and which vehicles are failing when. We know that a you know a 2007 Ford F-150 is actually more reliable than the 2008 model because we know every fault that's coming through from every vehicle. So having all that data is amazing. We just got to, we got to learn to unlock that data, make it available, you know, get it out there so that, um, you know, people can start taking advantage of it. And that's really the, the big wave that's happening on the big data side.
2: And I would think because you've got your, you're encouraging the open platform, uh, aspect you the, you mentioned the collaboration piece. There's all kinds of collaborate, collaboration that happens in that exploration piece that you just referenced.
1: Yes, so exactly. I mean, you know, big data is not an island. Right. So we generate these amazing data sets about, okay, ambient air temperature. We know that the windscreen wipers on. But now we need to correlate that data with, you know, you know, the weather network or somebody, and then they go, Oh yeah, but we know that there's we can tell them that snow is falling at that point because it's just dropped below zero, the temperature or the windscreen wipers on, it must be raining at that location. So it's putting the da- big data sets together, working with partners to say, you know, if we combine it with, you know, the data, if we we know how many people are visiting the mall, you know, if we combine that data with some other kind of data, then you know, then it becomes valuable to this company because then they can do planning or, you know, then we can do traffic flow rates or we can do accidents or so really, that's what it is. It's a big collaboration, and, and figuring out the use cases because this is a brand new world. We don't even know. We're not even. We're just scratching the surface of what's going to be possible with big data. In fact, we believe that in five to ten years' time, nobody is going to be paying for telematics. It's all going to be free, and and it's going to be paid for by the by the value of the data. Right uh-huh. at the end of the day, that data is going to just be so valuable, uh-huh. and and that's what's exciting.
2: Yeah. Well, again, what's happened to GPS, right? became yep. open so as, as you're going through this Neil I, I get what's going through my head and, um, is oh my gosh are, are we ever lucky that uh, you left South Africa wondering what you were going to do to have you here in Canada <laughs> it really <laughs> is wonderful it really is the your journey along the way but let's kind of pivot now uh, an entrepreneurial term to advice for the startup uh, Canadians that are out there those that are beginning the their journey. Um, can you kind of talk about, you know, the, the top two key pieces of advice you would, uh, you would suggest to beginning entrepreneurs, rookie entrepreneurs, as I call them?
1: Sure, and 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 you know what? This is this is an interesting point. I think the biggest thing that we we, we have to really understand in terms of being an entrepreneur, is is understanding why there are not more entrepreneurs, and that is the biggest problem that we have both here in Canada um, and around the world. Is that not enough people are willing to become entrepreneurs? And if you let's just take uh, you know a, a case in point. If we look at Europe, if you if you go bankrupt in Europe, honestly, you're frowned upon. You're you looked at it as some kind of failure, a loser. Um, you know, you didn't get your house in order, you didn't do the right thing. And then you look at Britain, which is kind of a little bit, a little bit more lax, you look at Canada, which is kind of halfway between the US and Europe. And then you look at the US where and, and you got to kind of some of the hotbeds like Silicon Valley. In Silicon Valley, it's almost the other way. It's like a bit of a badge of honor. Mm. You're almost not accepted unless you've gone bankrupt at least once. <laughs> yeah. or, <you> know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 in a way, it's really important that we've got to understand that we've got to take risks without risks there are no rewards and we are naturally risk averse and one of the things here in canada to be honest that that we suffer from a little bit is i don't know if you know this but we are the most overinsured nation in the world we have more insurances for more things than anywhere else in the world really and yeah we do and um one of the things we've got to we've got to almost fight against to say, listen, we need to take a little bit more risk. We need to, you know, go out there and do it. And that's one of the biggest things that I can, you know, advice that I can have for the entrepreneurs is do it. And I'll tell you, if you get hold of other entrepreneurs, they will support you all the way down the line because they know, you know, what it takes to be an entrepreneur and that we should be taking more risks. And, you know, we talk amongst ourselves as entrepreneurs about what we can do to actually get down to the the early, earlier times when when kids are at school or when they're you know, starting university and trying to encourage more people to take those risks. Mm. So I think that's the number one thing, in my opinion. Um, The number two thing that that I think is important, I mentioned this before, is focus. Like, um, you know, I think that everybody, virtually every one of us can go out and can run a business. We can start a little business. And anytime you walk into a company and you say, what are your biggest problems? And you start talking to people and you ask them, yeah, we got to, Mount of paperwork and nobody can ever file it. Or, you know, we we don't know, you know, we can't get our goods from A to B quickly enough. Or we have this problem all the time of, you know, the A, B, and C. Or even if it's like, no, we don't have food for our staff members, whatever it is, there's always problems that people face, companies face, customers face. So we can always just talk to people and go, okay, what problems are you facing? And we can make some money by solving those problems. We can, and, and, but, but the thing is to go listen to those customers and go, listen, let's understand what those problems are. And then I, you know, from my perspective, because I'm, you know, a bit of a technologist, I like to really know what's going on in the technology world. I like to understand, you know, the trends. Microprocessors are getting cheaper. Data is getting cheaper. Okay, all these cloud services available now. We can do it for half the price and twice as fast. And all this, all the stuff that's spinning around you over here. So you take what's going on on the one side, which is all this, you know, new technology that's available, and you look at the business problems on the other side. And then what your job is as an entrepreneur is to kind of put the two together and go like, oh, this problem is not being. Sold by anybody, and there's this new technology that's come out there that would really make it easy to solve that problem. And let's put, you know, one plus one together and I'm going to write it, build a little business around that. And then, you know, and then I'm going to focus and that's the only thing I'm going to do. I'm going to be laser focused on my vision of getting that problem solved and I'm going to work hard at it and I'm going to plug away until I'm prepared to put in years if it takes to to get my vision to, to fruition. And then when it when it hits, then it gets, it's going to explode. And I think, you know, that's those are the two things that I would say, you know, just as a little bit of advice that that we should do. And and then finally mentioned as well is the importance of sales and marketing. Um, if you are an engineer, and obviously, you know, you can be an entrepreneur and be a salesperson or marketing person, and that's great. You probably would want to just, you know, you know, surround yourself with the engineers then if you want to solve a technical problem. But on the other hand, if you're an engineer, don't think that building a smart piece of technology is going to get you there. It really is the beginning. It is, it is, of the problem. 80% of the problem is getting that in front of the right people, telling people about your fantastic solution. And, you know, and I think that that's the piece that we just got to remember. So that would be my, my advice to folks if, if, if I can, if I can give it.
2: Well, in true entrepreneurial spirit, you broke the rules. You did three and not two. (laughs) (laughs) So good for you. I love it. I love it. So uh, one last question I have, it's an easy one. Um, What's a, what's a book you'd recommend that uh, startups
1: uh, should read? You know what? I really believe, and and this is me, I don't read a lot of the books for for startups. What I do is I subscribe to a lot of blogs, uh, Twitter blogs. I go online and I start listening to the people who are the best entrepreneurs, the people who are the best technologists, the the people who understand my industry the best. And I subscribe to their Twitter feed or I, you know, go onto the blog postings. I subscribe and every single night without fail, I'll open I don't read the newspaper. I bring the stuff Mm. up. It's customized news just for me. And it just tells me, Mm. gives me so much insight into, you know, what's happening in the world of, of being an entrepreneur and what I should look for and you know what's available as new technology or what's happening in my field of business. And to me, that's much more live. Like a book, you know, it gives you good advice and there's probably lots of good books out there, but this is current up to date, you know, it starts you thinking and, and, and that's, uh, that's the new way of doing things in my opinion.
2: Wow. So you call it Neil news then I bet. I love it. No, it's you know I like to take away something strong in every one of our conversations, and uh, and I you know it's sometimes things are so darn obvious that you forget that they are obvious, and I think that that's a a great way to end this incredibly uh, wonderful journey into your business, your focus on global technology, your 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 disruption that you're happening, and the 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 lessons of being an entrepreneur around being you know having that focus and sales and marketing and so on. Neil Cause, you are indeed a pleasure to talk to, sir, and I wish you the best continued luck with your career. We do need people like you, and if you don't mind, can I tell people your Twitter handle? Because I think they should follow you. Do you mind? Sure, Uh, with pleasure. All right, it's N-C-A-W-S-E and uh, he's definitely going on my list right after this podcast. So, Neil, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure and a privilege, and uh, we'll Hope to look forward to meeting you face-to-face soon.
1: Thanks, Rivers. It's been great talking to you, and I really enjoyed it, and all the very best.
2: Thank you for joining us today on the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly program dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every canadian want access to even more amazing entrepreneur content well then make sure you check out startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events and my name is rivers corbett i'm your host as always i invite you to follow me on twitter at rivers corbett I do the same thing with conveying all kinds of cool ideas and uh, conversations with entrepreneurs around the planet to help you guys have super success. Until next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you now with a sneak peek of next week's episode. How does someone... Um, I've... I, 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 I get asked sometimes, you know, how do I market my business and my natural response is I open up my mouth and I just talk about it. And so I know how to get onto podcasts and so on. And then here I am doing this one full time. Now it's great. But how, how would you recommend that somebody who is, is starting off gets, gets onto podcasts or gets to speak? What is there? Is there some sort of trick to the trade about how to do it? Or is it just pure networking?
0: No, in my experience, it, it all just, you know, it, it comes, uh, these things feed into each other. So the rebel.com angle is we're going to help you do that online. We're going to get you a domain name and a website and email and help you get content published. Um, you know, super easily so that you can start to share your voice online. You can connect it with your social media um, and you can take that angle. And and what we like to do is share our experience because we're doing that. So we'll tell you what we do and what works and what doesn't and share that experience uh, with people who are getting started up. But then the rest is on you. It's, it's true. It's hitting the streets. There's so many networking events these days mm-hmm. that, that you could honestly be out there probably five nights a week in Ottawa and I'm sure it's the same in other communities. There's no excuse to not go out and and share your ideas and your thoughts. Mm. And and I was listening to some of your previous podcasts, and I think I've heard this before on your podcast, but I truly believe in it. It's when you're getting started out, there might be this part of you that wants to keep everything a secret because the idea, you know, is precious. But the reality is it's the execution that's important, not the idea. And part of the execution is networking, which means you got to tell others about your idea to get them excited about it. Nice. Right. right, So, yeah. you know, um, again, there's no there's no secret. it's just hard work.